Hello, I'm Michael Heyman, and you're listening to Changemakers. Now, I'm joined today by Romy Savova, the founder and CEO of Pension B, the company that has a mission to bring pensions into the 21st century. Romy's story is one that begins in Bulgaria and has taken her all the way to floating her company on the London Stock Exchange. It's a story that includes chapters in South Africa and the US, with stops at Goldman Sachs and Morgan Stanley on the road to entrepreneurial success. Founded in 2015, Pension B today serves some 800,000 customers. Well, let's talk about them, Romy. Welcome to Changemakers. Pleasure to have you on the show. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, I'd like to start with what I thought was a a great quote for life that you shared with (laughs) us, which was, if it was easy, someone else would already be doing it. Tell us about that in the context of your own personality and your own approach to life. Well, I would certainly say that I do do love a challenge. I'm exceptionally motivated by the challenge that is the world of pensions. I actually struggled to move my own pension, which is really the backdrop for how I started the company. I think that in general, I am the kind of person and who likes to solve problems. And mm. there is a massive consumer problem in the world of pensions. And therefore, well, here we are. <laughs> well, we'll get on to it. We'll get on to that in, in, in a moment on the pensions. But I mean, you did something which a lot of people say is one of the most difficult things you can do, which is to float your business on, on the London Stock Exchange. So tell us about that in terms of the, the process and what you learned about yourself. Well, I had always worked in corporate finance. So the process wasn't too much of a mystery to me. And mm. really, since the inception of Pension B, there had always been a very clear vision to be a public company because we serve so many consumers. And I think it's important to be able to demonstrate those highest levels of of governance. Um, And so there was a plan from the very, very early days that we would ultimately float the company. And so it really became a process of building that over over many years mm. always moving in the direction of being ready and then when the time came and the time was right which was about a year ago we actually felt quite quite strong going into the process um and we knew that we had an investor story mm-hmm. um, and the kind of business that I think is very durable and sustainable in this day and age. Not, not only do we exist to, you know, t- to have a business that makes, that makes profit ultimately, but also that serves a very important purpose in the world of consumer finance. Mm. So all of those factors combined, kind of the, the readiness and the nature of the business came, came together well, which made the process grueling at times. You know, you'd, you're definitely up in the late hours of the see, night. See you closing your eyes when you say that. <laughs> Blocking out some of those memories, but, but one that we were very much ready for. Mm. Do you find that running a quoted company, how do you sort of pair off the requirement to stay entrepreneurial and energetic when you have all of the due diligence and processes and requirements that running a public company sort of brings with it? Many entrepreneurs have found that the most difficult thing of all in terms of the transition from the disruptor into the establishment, if you will. Yes, it's an an interesting question and it depends on how you approach that challenge. And, And I very much approach it from the perspective of controls are there to help you to grow sustainably and to grow safely. And I have seen far too many cases in other industries and other circumstances where there have been insufficient controls and that have frankly been disastrous for Mm. for the businesses that have been impacted. And so for us, I think 
you know, good risk management, good financial controls, sound investor engagement, all of those things, all of those factors that are required of a public company are actually very good for us and for, for our growth profile. So, so good I don't disciplines. Think that, yeah, yeah, there's no conflict there. And I think a lot of it comes down also to the nature of the founder um, and to the nature of the CEO. And I tend to be a highly analytical person. Right. I like spreadsheets. I like PowerPoints. You know, I'm, I'm not a sort of pie in the sky kind of, you know, kind of founder. You know, I am very operational and hands-on as well as being able to balance the, the higher level strategic nature of the company. So, so for me, it's actually quite suitable. Right. So you have to get your ego in check by the sounds of it. You should always have your ego in check. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, well, I'm saying a lot, a lot of entrepreneurs are like, they feel really sort of like, well, you know, I've been master of my own ship and, you know, and all of a sudden you've got a whole load of different things. But it sounds to me like you're saying you've got to, you've got to find the rhythm in the new, in the new world that you operate in. You do. And I think you also need to recognize that that as a company, you are responsible for so many different stakeholders. You have mm. customers, you have employees, you have suppliers, investors, regulators, and so on. And so, you know, the only way to effectively manage such a broad range of stakeholders is with your, I think with your head really well screwed on. <laughs> right. Let's move on. Let's talk about how you can be pension confident. Tell let's us a little bit about the, let's talk about, let's talk about <laughs> pension B, the business. I mean, I, I mean, I'd start the question by saying, I'm now so interested in my pension, but I'm in my fifties. When I was in my well, twenties, good to hear anyway. <laughs> well, good to, good to, well, at least I spent, at least I made my twenties and thirties. It was the kind of like, oh well, that's something older people do. Let's talk about the kind of the mission of the business. You spoke a yeah. lot about the purpose, and and I suppose about how it connects with the the lives of people that you're trying to influence and work with. Yeah, well, look, I dare say things have changed over the past, you know, 10, 20 years in, in the pensions market. Automatic enrollment has been a huge driver of that change. So effectively, every employee, virtually every employee being enrolled into their workplace pension, combined with the trend of job switching means that people have invariably left a couple of pensions behind in, in previous workplaces. Mm. And I found myself in that situation in, in 2014, when I tried to move an old pension to any provider who would have me. And despite my background in finance, I found the consumer world of pensions incredibly complicated um, and really tough to navigate. And therefore, pension B's mission is to make pensions simple mm. so that everyone can look forward to a happy retirement. And so we, you know, we really strive to achieve that vision by providing a pension product that serves customers along their entire life journey whether that starts from, you know, the combination point, which is where it starts for most customers, combining their old pensions into a new plan to the contribution point. Ultimately, you know, what you get out of a pension is what amounts to what you pay in and the, and the investment returns on top of that. And then ultimately, you know, withdrawals. So we take exist us, for the whole life journey. Take us back to the to that startup point when you you had that problem. I mean, was your reaction one of our oh, opportunity, or was the grit in the oyster? I'm just not having this. There's got to be a better way. I mean, it, it's it's interesting when you look at different sort of fintech founders is that the motivation can come from different places mm -hmm. in terms of what drives them to go from, you know, I, I guess from being an employee into being an employer in terms of, yeah. uh, or an entrepreneur and, and growing their business. What what was the kind of, what gave you the kind of the passion to go for it? Or, or would you have done it on something else if it wasn't on this one? I mean, I'd be interested to sort of know the psychology of it. Well, if I look back to, you know, where, where I was in, you know, in, in 2014, I was still at Morgan Stanley. I had learned a great 
deal about the financial ecosystem from a strategic standpoint. I knew that I loved the world of finance because of the way that it connects the economy and the purpose that it can serve in in consumer lives. And I had just taken the jump to join a startup called Credit Benchmark, where I joined as one of the first employees and saw firsthand how it works if you don't have a giant IT department to manage your computer and you know lots of different, I guess, luxuries that, that you have in the corporate world and in the startup world, you have to make everything happen yourself. And I realized that you know this is this is an exciting place to be. Entrepreneurship mm. is really you know, and, and making things happen and making change is something that is worth getting up for in the morning. But it's risky, right? I mean, it, you know, it, it's, it's, it is, it's, it is, it is. And, you know, I, I always felt that I had had a lot of experience in large corporate. I felt that I knew, you know, a fair amount around the corporate world. And therefore, I didn't feel that any of the decisions I was making were irreversible. Mm. So, and, and, and that a lot of that gave me the, you know, gave me the courage to go into the startup, into a startup as one of the first employees, again, a financial startup. And it was really when I was there that I realized, you know, how much I love this and that the market opportunity for a product like Pension B would be enormous. Mm. And those two things combined together that, you know, that passion and that love, you know, with that market opportunity that was just so clear at the time, you know, I knew that if I didn't do it, somebody else would. Right. And therefore I better get going immediately. So, so when you talk about, when you talk about bringing pensions into the 21st century, it's more than just the utility of making it easier, I guess. I mean, you spoke about purpose and you spoke about sort of things that I guess people want to be allied with. I interviewed Richard Curtis last year. From and his his campaign is is called Make Your Money Matter, which is in you know trying to raise awareness of where your pensions are invested and encouraging people to 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 invest more sustainably. In terms of how you pick up that story from a mm. pension B perspective, how, how do you see it? How do you fulfil that that increasing demand that people want their their capital to follow? good motivations and good ideas and good outcomes. Mm. Well, one of the most important realizations as a pension saver is that you own virtually every listed company in the world. And therefore, like it or not, you own some of the major technology stocks, you own some of the major oil producers, you own some of the major tobacco companies. And for many people, that ownership is not aligned with their values and the way that they live their lives on a daily basis. People spend a huge amount of time aiming to be good citizens for our environment, for our society, um, and your pension investments may not reflect that reality. And we started hearing this message from our customers. Everything we do is exceptionally customer driven. Mm. And our customers actually started saying that they wanted to see a way to invest responsibly with Pension B. So we got a plan on board that excluded some of the worst oil producers in in the world, but included some of the so-called better ones, um, the ones that had pledged to make a difference in time. But the voice of our customers actually grew louder than that. And they told us they don't want fossil fuels in their pensions at all. Um, And so we actually launched the UK's first mainstream fossil fuel free pension. Mm -hmm. Um, in order to meet that demand. I would say for us, you know, we listen to what our customers say and we do, you know, we we do what they say very Mm. simply. And so that drive to to give them a responsible investing option, that that really came from them. Now, I I think your business is is a really interesting business, not least because you've taken something in the idea of pensions, which, you know, 
you've spoken about how traditionally they've been seen as you know complicated shrouded in mystery even quite boring I mean that you know (laughs) a hard idea to get the pulse racing possibly because of what a pension stands for you know the next stage of your life and and so on in terms of the the reinvention of pensions I mean you spoke about the sea change in terms of enrollment but presumably Mm -hmm. it's more than that isn't it in terms of something about self-control and self-agency in terms of preparing for your future I'm just wondering you know because you are a business that seems to have captured a zeitgeist actually in 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 this issue and I'm just wondering what did you see that others haven't in terms of starting to ignite the imagination about pensions and what they can be in your life well I think I see what everybody sees actually and the desire to be financially secure and to be prepared for later life to not have nagging worries about the future and one's financial security. I think that that is a desire that every person in the UK has. Mm. But if I may interrupt, not everybody does any, does something about that. There might be a universality of, you know, I'd like my long-term future to be, you know, to be secure, but I might take short-term decisions that may well stop that from actually happening. So I suppose, how do you turn good intention into good action? Mm. Well, the, the key is in Pension B's mission, which is to make pension simple. And a lot of the time, the, the barrier to doing something with your pension is that it feels too complicated. You don't know exactly how it works. You need to invest a huge amount of time to figure out a system that was designed designed decades ago and doesn't work in a digitally forward world. And by breaking down those barriers, by making it simple, by making it, you know, universally appealing, making people understand that it is for them. It's not for somebody else. It's for you. You have a pension. You are responsible for sorting out your retirement. You know, that messaging of you can do it and it is for you. I think that that is really the the power in what we have achieved. What do you make of the debate at the moment that, that you know, Britain's pensions are almost a kind of dormant sovereign wealth fund that could be activated in the entrepreneurial economy, energised in terms of their ability to invest, a bit like equities in ISAs. There is a debate which, you know, the government has looked at, hasn't there, in terms of actually could pensions be repurposed? I mean, what, what do you make of all of that? Or actually is the role here to keep it safe and not mess well, with it? I'm I'm a bit wary of these proposals because the primary purpose of pensions is to fund consumers' retirements and therefore they should be invested in a way that is most most likely to to achieve that. Now, I don't believe that that is the only purpose of pensions. You know, we've talked about sustainable sustainable investing. I happen to have a long-term view that sustainable investing is going to be more profitable as well. But generally speaking, pensions are there for their owners, the people who own them, and we should be listening to them in terms of the way that they want to see their money invested rather than listening to governments as to how they would like to see those pensions invested because their motivations might be different to consumer motivations. Mm. We regularly survey our customers on this point. And what does come through loud and clear is that consumers do want to see their pensions invested in companies that behave in ways that they expect good corporate citizens to behave. Now, does that necessarily mean investing in venture capital and investing in private equity? No, it doesn't necessarily mean that. Mm. 
and and I think it's really the people whose money it is that should be driving the decisions of where the money goes. Okay, and let's talk about those people because you know it, there's a there's a cost of living crisis on at the moment. Twenty percent of UK adults have less than a hundred pounds in savings right now. You said that there are a few shortcuts in building up savings. What's the advice you'd give to people that are listening, saying, "Well, I like the idea of this, but where do I even start?" Well, I would suggest looking in your drawer of old paperwork that is usually you know a, a good place to to start because with pensions what many people don't realize is that you you probably have a fair amount saved up already um and it's sitting languishing in old corporate schemes so my first tip would be to get your pensions together so that you know how much you've saved and it's only once you know how much you have today that you you know will really know how much you need to keep saving to get to where you want to be in the future so once they're there today start by making a short term savings plan something that you feel that you can afford because the most important truth in pensions is the earlier you start the better and you should start with what you can afford and the government actually makes it really attractive for you to do that so for every you know 100 pounds you put in the government will add another 25 in the form of tax relief um and so there is there is a strong incentive to start to get going mm. early because the earlier you start the more likely you are to benefit from compounding returns over a long investment the, period the, the, absolutely the, the, the yeah yeah, no, in, interesting. In, in the buildup. And so I, I, I would definitely focus on that. And then I suppose thirdly, I would say, you know, if you are at the age where you're considering making withdrawals, you know, consider whether you want to delay that, giving your pension more time to grow, giving the economy some time to recover, that can really put you in a better position for, you know, your your long term. Jam tomorrow. Um, <laughs> right. Let's go back in your story now, Bulgaria. This is where this is where you grew up. This is where this is where your story started, and it was a communist country back then. In terms of, and I've I've interviewed a few really sort of interesting entrepreneurs. Phil Liebin, um, who was the founder of Evano, he grew up in in Soviet Moscow. Milan Kosic from Hexagon grew up in communist Eastern Europe. The kind of quite a lot of that seems to carry with you a certain view of the world based on the experiences that you had that the people around you didn't have. How did that work out for you, Romy, in terms of the, I guess, the legacy that it left with you? Yes, well, I, I was born in Bulgaria and I lived there until about the age of six. So, you know, my first memories are, of course, in, in Bulgaria. As a very young child, you know, I, the things that I remember most are kind of long queues in shops, shelves with limited produce mm. electricity blackouts uh was certainly a common thing and and lighting the house by candles and and even when i go back today and i and i do go quite often i still have family there i see you know kind of what it was like to live in this closed world mm. and you know what it's like to you know to to want for more to want for improvements mm. I, I mean i was also very impacted by by my parents of course my parents are both doctors and so i've always you know had that drive to, you know, to do something that helps people because I have seen, you know, two careers built on, on, on that foundation. And, and so that, you know, that, that Bulgarian experience, yes, of course, of course that sticks with you, but I think really the, the South African experience is, is of equal importance. Is of um, equal. Okay. So tell us about that, because I'm sort of thinking, you know, you've got a lot of continents in your story, you know, you've got, you've got Europe, you've got 
Africa and you've got North America in, in that. And I'm sort of interested in terms of how each have helped shape your story. Yeah, well, I mean, I think in, in South Africa, the biggest change that was going on at, at, at the time was really the fall of apartheid and, you know, the recognition that social justice is such an important cause in, mm. in this world. I mean, from an early age, I, I wanted to be a lawyer. I wanted to focus on human rights. So, you know, I think those political experiences really shape you and your future and they do shape the foundations and what you see as important and and, and what you pay attention to mm. and i think that really the mix the international mix has you know brought about one of one of the values that i have in in diversity and being exposed to you know people from all sorts of different backgrounds and seeing how wonderful that is yeah i mean and i, I think that, that I, I, and i think that comes across do you think do you think it's also in inspired your sense of activism absolutely absolutely um, i love nothing more than you know being an activist for for change in the pensions industry it's it's exceptionally exciting mm. did you find working for for big name companies like goldman sachs and morgan stanley did, did that suppress the activist did that did that suppress the sort of the, the person that was going to go out there and and be the great disruptor if you will well i'm i'm very grateful for the learning experience that i got from you know from the large organizations that i worked for you know some of the skills i learned there i would not have gotten elsewhere but it's definitely you know big organizations are places where people struggle to make change mm. unless the culture is really shaped to to encourage and reward change. So yes, I I think it would be hard to to make a lot of change at big corporates. <laughs> I mean, and, but of course, you are on the road to becoming a bigger company. In terms of you know, that there is a point where the entrepreneur is no longer running a, a small entrepreneurial business, but running a corporation, and you know, running a business that may well encounter many of the same problems that you're talking about. How, how do you maintain the kind of culture that you have within Pension B in terms of the team, in terms of the kind of, I suppose, the founder-led approach, the culture mm -hmm. of a, a growing team, but also now a listed company? Well, it comes down to the values and being quite, I think, forward and exceptionally open about the values of the company. And we've had these values since since inception. The value of love is probably the strangest one that you would find in a financial services company, but one that's of particular importance to us mm. and the way that we behave with each other and the way that we behave. So, you know, so, explain, so explain it to us in a working context, the value of love. And just what does that mean? In, in a working context, a lot of the value of love is about the way that you speak to people and the way that you break down the hierarchy, um, that collaboration, the ability to have positive working relationships with anyone in the company, that is very much emphasized at, at Pension B. It's an incredibly you know, cordial place to work. And that value of love, speaking to people with empathy, understanding where others are coming from, seeking to first understand and then to be understood is something we we repeat quite often. It's one of it's actually one of the the mantras of our CFO, you know, seek to seek to understand first and then to be understood. And that kind of approach, I think, fosters a lot of teamwork, a lot of collaboration, which ultimately helps us to maintain one of our second values, which is the value of innovation. And that innovation, mm -hmm. doing things differently, you know, being open to change, giving you some of the language that we use in the company. Language is hugely important. Right. And, and, and I think that that, that does 
come come over and and I suppose this commitment to a process of improvement you know across across the board a lot of companies when when they list you know I've, I've interviewed many CEOs and they'll turn around and go well our team had got us to this position but now we're listed we need as you mentioned the CFO we need this these this whole new cast of characters that that will take the business to the next level that's often the phrase that's used it sounds to me that your process and your belief is based on that we can all improve, we can all get there, that actually the cast that that got you to a certain size can get you to an even bigger size. Is that a fair reflection? Or did you find that actually there were lots of gaps that you had to fill because of where you were starting to sort of emerge into? That is absolutely a fair reflection. And most of our management team have been here you know, either since day one or since the very early days of the company. And I think what really distinguishes them and us as a group of individuals who manage this company is that belief in making change in the pension sector. That's Mm. really the founding thing that I think wakes everybody up in the morning. And yes, we are absolutely the team that's also going to take the company to the next stage. Now, we're we're fast running out of time. We could go on, but I've I've only got time for a couple more questions. You know, you've, you've spoken about your tip for life is to be yourself and have fun in everything that you do. How do you live that 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 tip yourself do you think? I tend to have a very open style of of management. I am incredibly available to all of our team. I'm incredibly available to customers. I respond to customer emails often on on weekends. Now I'll say that they they don't email me too often, thankfully, but when they do, I am available. And so I is think, that the fun bit? <laughs> <laughs> I, I all of those are are learning opportunities, um, yeah. and and that's how I see them. I think for me, listening to customers, acting on what customers want, that is is really kind of the you know the biggest learning and the biggest kind of truth in, in in this whole business and I think remembering that I myself am a customer of the company and you know in in that way we are actually all you know we are all aiming for the same thing I think that's the way to stay to stay honest and true and your new normal you described as mummy CEO Tell us about <laughs> mummy CEO <laughs> well I have I have three small children I have five-year-olds a three-year-olds and a zero wow I have a I have a newborn baby a um, hat trick yeah. <laughs> well, not 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 my first radio, I'll admit. Um, but they are absolutely wonderful. So of course, the, the biggest challenge for me is to find the time to balance my love for my company with the, of course, with the love for my children. How, how hard somehow, do you find that? I don't know. It somehow it all kind of fits together. It's sometimes in odd hours, but you know, it's it's incredibly fulfilling to have both of those things in my life. Mm, I agree. I have two daughters and I have exactly that same that same <laughs> feeling. Now you've you've also, I mean, time for a last plug because you've also recently joined the podcast club you've launched um, the pension confident podcast let's give you a chance tell us a little bit to listeners about about it and, and, and what they might find if they go and listen well you will find a whole lot of tips about how to be better and how to do more with with your pension and guests have included me various members of our management team we've spoken about responsible investing we've spoken about the gender pension gap and um, we've spoken about all sorts of things in the world of pensions that we aim to use to increase our customers and listeners knowledge about pensions and to help motivate them to to make good decisions with their finances Mm, brilliant i mean i'm just thinking about the opening quote that we we spoke about if it was easy someone else would already (laughs) be doing it if you weren't doing this Romy, what what would you be what do you think you'd be doing i don't think there's anything else for me (laughs) 
This is it. A mission-driven person. <laughs> what a good this place to leave it. Romy Saveva, thank you so much for joining me on Changemakers. A real pleasure to have the conversation. Likewise. Thanks for having me. Changemakers is brought to you by the campaign's firm Seven Hills and presented by me, Michael Heyman. Pure Being is the name of our soundtrack and it's written and performed by the brilliant BT Wolf. To find out more, head over to changemakers.works and if you like what you hear, why not give us a rating? Thank you.